I'm Christiana Manpour in Kyiv, Ukraine, where Russian forces conducted a massive drone and missile strike at the crack of dawn here, the largest attack since spring, say officials. Remarkably, all 28 cruise missiles were intercepted. Two people were killed by falling debris. But perhaps even more striking and significant, an astonishing drone attack inside Russia. Multiple regions were targeted across almost a thousand kilometers, including Peskov, where drones damaged four military planes. A senior Ukrainian official says the war is increasingly moving to Russia's territory, while not claiming responsibility. At its core, the defense of Ukraine had been framed by President Biden and allies as a defense of democracy around the world, including in Africa, where today, again, democracy suffered yet another blow, as a group of military officers seized power in Gabon, in what appears to be the latest in a string of coups all across the continent. Tonight, we'll try to connect the dots and explore what this all means with each of our important guests, including the European Union's foreign policy chief, Joseph Borrell, and NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg. But first, Fiona Hill, former deputy assistant to President Donald Trump and senior director on the U.S. National Security Council, a veteran Russia watcher. Fiona Hill, welcome back to the program. Uh, so let me start by asking you first, uh, you know, it's not unusual to see attacks into Kyiv, not unusual to see them intercepted thanks to the Patriot missiles and others. But this massive attack into Russia is a first. How do you assess what's happening? Well, look, I think, you know, from the Ukrainian point of view, and you're there on the ground in uh, Kyiv, uh, Christian, and I'm sure we'll be talking to people about this. In part, it's for domestic audiences in Ukraine, and also in uh, the uh, audience service of Western allies who are standing by and supporting Ukraine to show that, you know, Ukraine has agency in this war. This is not just a one-sided uh, conflict in which Russia is relentlessly attacking uh, Ukrainian uh, territory and trying to keep on to uh, hold on to the territory that it's already taken. But the Ukraine has some capability of reminding people in Russia that there is a war and it is not without consequences in Russia itself. I don't think that the Ukrainians are fully taking the conflict into Russia. There are a lot of constraints um, around that, in part because, of course, Ukraine is trying to make the case that it's defending its own territory. This is not a dispute uh, with Russia over territory or a, an effort by Ukraine to expand its gains. This is Ukraine's effort to bring its territory back, but by telling Russia and the Russian population that there are costs to continuing this war. It's a signal to the Russian population, as well as it is to the domestic population in uh, Kiev, in Ukraine writ large, that Ukraine has the ability to make its presence felt inside of Russia. Yeah, it is extraordinary, and people here are all talking about it, this incredible range of apparently these drones, um, and that even President Putin's own spokesperson, Dmitry Peskov, called a massive attack. Of course, they frame it as terrorism. So what do you think, knowing, obviously, the way they think, operate, etc., what do you think this is going to mean to President Putin, despite what you say it's really for domestic effect here in Ukraine? Do you think it'll have any effect on, uh, you know, on the Kremlin and the leadership? Well, look, I think one of the reasons that Ukrainians are being so careful about this is because, of course, a lot of these bombardments can have the exact opposite effect of what you want to have. I mean, we see, for example, that Russia's bombardment of Ukraine has, in fact, strengthened the resolve of Ukrainians. 
And you know, throughout history, we've seen that aerial bombardments very rarely have the effect that the aggressor wants it to have, uh, which is to you know, break the spirit of the people who are under aerial attack. And in the case of, again, Ukrainian drone attacks on Moscow, it's meant more to signal uh, that, that Ukraine can put certain, um, uh, basically, uh, physical objects at some kind of jeopardy in Russia. But the, you know, the, the risk is, of course, that the Russians react to this. They rally around uh, Putin and his accusations and Peskov's other accusations of terrorism. And it has uh, an, a, an unfortunate, unintended consequence of hardening the attitudes of the Russians. I mean, basically, what the Ukrainians are trying to do with this is to also encourage the idea of Russia eventually uh, engaging in some kind of diplomacy down the line by basically saying, look, this war is a self-defeating exercise for Russia as well. I mean, I think, you know, we have to watch this very carefully because, of course, Putin will try to play this uh, to his advantage. And I think, you know, the Ukrainians themselves are trying to calibrate this accordingly. There are some downsides and upsides to doing, you know, this kind of drone assault on Moscow, Pskov and on other uh, cities within Russia. And also, as we discussed on our program last night, um, a very daring attack on two military targets inside Crimea. That was, um, you know, a, a few weeks ago. But look, let me ask you, because you raised the issue there of potential peace negotiations down the line. We're in the midst of a counteroffensive. Russia has adapted very, very importantly to Ukraine's innovative use of drones, but also it has really dug in and its defenses apparently are incredibly, you know, effective. Do you see and when would you look for any sign uh, that there might be a shift towards any kind of negotiation? Well, look, it has to be a diplomatic effort uh, first. And you have coming onto the program Josef Borrell and uh, also Secretary General um, Stoltenberg. And, you know, I think, you know, parts of uh, the whole process here is preparing a diplomatic framework for something eventual and putting Ukraine in the best possible diplomatic position. I don't think we can talk about an actual negotiation at this stage. You know, you and I have talked about this before. Diplomacy is often conflated with that. But basically, we have to have uh, a lot of diplomatic support for Ukraine as well and for Ukraine's position. So there's a dual track that's going on here. And I think that um, Secretary General Stoltenberg has been talking about this. I also know that the High Representative uh, Borrell of the EU, they're all thinking about this. How do you strengthen Ukraine's diplomatic position, not just uh, Ukraine's position on the battlefield? We've seen President Zelensky mm -hmm. meeting with the African Union, going to Jeddah in Saudi Arabia, uh, going to Copenhagen in Denmark, you know, for example. There is a big diplomatic effort afoot here to basically make it very clear that Ukraine's sovereignty and independence and territorial integrity has to be the starting point for anything that we might ultimately do down the line in a negotiation. So we're trying to strengthen Ukraine's position mm -hmm. on every frontier. And you're right, we will uh, further explore that with Joseph Borrell in a second. But can I ask you, because, you know, you're obviously so well familiar with the U.S. national security and the diplomatic pro process from there. It is the U.S. that essentially leads, um, obviously, along with the European Union and, and NATO. But uh, the U.S. essentially leads, and, and I've been led to understand that governments around the world are waiting and, and, and take their lead from the U.S. So what do you think, after a year and a half, will be the position of the United States in the next few months, in the next year, if the parties change in the next election? 
Well, look, it's not just will they change in the next election, but just the, uh, which I think you're already hinting at and talking about here, which is the presidential campaign. We've already seen from the Republican Party debate that this has become an issue yeah. about support for Ukraine. It's become a partisan issue in some respects, but it's become, you know, something that's been kind of kicked about in U.S. domestic politics. It needs to be taken out of that context. And I would just basically say, as you move on uh, to talk to Mr. Burrell and Mr. Stoltenberg, that uh, other institutions and mechanisms and other players have to step up here and to also take on a lot of responsibility for pushing forward on the diplomatic front as well as thinking about Ukraine's security. This cannot be left to be the domestic uh, political issue of any particular country. U.S. leadership is important. The current administration is showing leadership. There's plenty of other leadership within Congress and the Senate and other support for uh, Ukraine and its position here in the United States. It's not just um, an issue of debate uh, within the Republican primary uh, system at the moment, but we have to step up on other fronts. It can't be just left to the vagaries of U.S. politics, to be frank. So we do need to see more action by the European Union, by NATO, and by other players, Japan, South Korea, Australia, you know, G7, you know, for example. There are other interested parties here, and we need to have a full-force diplomatic effort, including the United Nations as well. The Secretary General of the United Nations has also played a key role here. There are other players in the mix.